One thing about being a, a part of this church for 30 years, which I have been and my wife has been, is that when I look around, I can make eye contact with so many friends. I can see so many that um, have loved me because I need it, have encouraged me because I've needed it, have prayed for me because I've needed it, have uh, shown kindness and forgiveness to me because I've needed it. And today we're going to be talking about a church in the book of Revelation that also, there were some marvelous things in this church, but there were also some very dangerous things in this church. That's probably true of most churches. So um, today, what we're going to be talking about is uh, in the series of the seven churches of the book of Revelation, we're in Revelation chapter 2, and we are in the verses 18 through 29. The difficult name of the church is Thyatara. It's uh, not called that anymore. There is a Turkish city on the site, but this city's long gone. And the church there is long gone as well, which is sad, but it is long gone. So this morning, um, you're going to hear from Jesus. Why? Because these, this is red letter stuff. This is Jesus talking. You know, the book of Revelation is one word. It's singular, Revelation. I even hear pastors say, Revelations, I like that book. And it's not Revelations. It's one singular word. And what is the Revelation? The Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of the glorious, resurrected, awesome King of Heaven who is telling John the things that are and the things that will be. So it's not an easy book, but it's a marvelous book. These seven letters are intended to be letters perpetually, letters for all churches at all times, because Jesus is speaking to the church. And who's the church? I hope you are. I hope you identify that you are a part of the body of Christ and that you're the church, not this building. 20 years from now, this building might be a museum. 20 years from now, maybe the city will own it. Who knows? The church is the body of Christ, the people of God, right? That's who the church is. I used to belong to a church. I don't know what it is now. When I was a kid, that was a big, thriving church, and now it's, I don't know what it is. And if you look around all over the cities, churches are being transformed into all kinds of things. They're up for lease. See, churches aren't perpetual. They don't go on forever in the same locations. And sometimes they thrive and thrive and thrive. There are some grand old churches like Moody Church in Chicago. It's been around for centuries. But a lot of times the church will start with a faithful few. They'll get together. They'll study the Bible. They'll get a calling from God to start some kind of fellowship. The church will grow up and it'll grow by the grace of God. And they'll hold to the Bible and they'll do good things and they'll serve the Lord and God will bless it. And they'll grow some more and they'll continue to be faithful and they'll continue to do the works of God and they'll serve him with a full heart and that church will grow. And then they'll start to drift. They'll start to drift away and they'll start to become tolerant of some things they shouldn't be tolerant of and they won't discipline the people in their church and the church will start to slide and eventually it will degenerate into nothing. It will become a synagogue of Satan. It'll be yuck city and spiritually totally down. That's what happens. Have you seen that? I have. I've seen God sort churches, take them apart. They're done because of there's something in their midst. There's something going on. God doesn't mess around. He's so serious because the church is his bride. The church is his bride. And there are a lot of men in this room, boy. And I'll say something about men and their anger and their jealousy and how men respond sometimes nasty, nasty ways. And I'm not saying, gals, that you can't be nasty too. I know you can. 
I know you can, then you're not excused, right? But the church is called the bride of Christ. And today we're going to see Jesus just celebratory. We're going to hear Jesus just being so happy, so encouraging, so excited about his bride. And then we're going to hear him say dangerous words of judgment and warning and even declarations of uh, destruction on the same church. Let's look together then. Read with me from the screen. You'll see it. Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you another burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we worship you. We have worshiped you, Lord. We've called you worthy because you are. We've called you holy because you are holy. And we adore you, Lord. All the saints adore you. The saints that are home with you, the victorious church, and the military church here on earth that's fighting. God, we adore you. And we want to adore you even better. We want to live in such a way that's pleasing to you. So God, take your word Open our hearts, Lord. Instruct us and teach us. Lord, help us to obey. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Lord, we come in here today, Lord, many of us practicing sin. Lord, we've, we've allowed the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of life, the pride of life, Lord, to seduce us. Lord, forgive us. Wash us, O Lord. Lord, I pray, especially for CVC, this church, God. You love this church. You love these that are here, God. And I pray today, Lord, that your voice, by the Spirit and by your word, Lord, will just touch our hearts and change us and make us more like Jesus. For only he is worthy. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a classic... Uh, 
piece of church doctrine that's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's a confession, it's a bunch of doctrines put together so people can understand um, a, a way forward in the church. And one of the things this Westminster Confession of Faith says is, the purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error. And some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ, but synagogues of Satan. Nevertheless, there shall be always a church on earth to worship God according to his will. This is a really insightful statement. It's what we see here at Thyatira, a church that may have a fatal flaw, a church that may be ready for its destruction. It may no longer exist in a short time, and it's difficult to trace the history of what happened in Thyatira. But today, we want to examine these scriptures. We want to examine God's word. So first of all, in the first verse, it's like, who is this to? This is to the angel, right? This is to the angel. This is verse 18. That is, Jesus is talking to the angel, which is the messenger. Today, I serve as a messenger. Don't call me an angel, okay? But I'm a messenger, a pastor in this church, a shepherd in this church. And so today I bring a message. And what is the message? It's the word of God, right? That's who's receiving this. He is receiving it. He is receiving it because he's the pastor. So what is he? Well, he's in the church of Thyatira. And Thyatira, you guys, was a small city. It was a small city. In fact, it's the smallest of all the cities on the map we'll see. But it was between some other cities that made it a passageway. And it was a city of commerce. There were a lot of things that they were doing there. History tells us that it was known for its trade guilds, that there were all kinds of trades going on in Thyatira, especially guilds that had to do with bronze making, dyeing, carp, dyeing cloth, garment making, pottery, brass working, okay? These, these guilds that were part of the town's business, how they did business, were like unions. So if you make these things, you belong to this guild. If you did these things, you belong to this guild. The electrician's guild, they belong to that guild over here, Right? Whatever trade they were in, they belonged to it. But these guilds held a wickedness within them because each guild had a deity, some kind of spirit god that they worshipped. So you've got this church living in Thyatira, right? The people that have been called out to be followers of Jesus. And you've got this business practice over here where if you belong to this business, you go to these worship services where they worship another god. And there's cultic prostitution there. So there's wickedness galore. And so now these people are in this church and they're trying to figure out, okay, but they're in the midst of the church, as you see, right? There's someone teaching false doctrine, someone teaching that they can live in both worlds. They can be this compromised. They can be this polluted. Yeah, you can come and worship with us and worship God and love Jesus and the spirit and love the father. And you can go to that thing. You can go over there and do that and keep your business going. You can practice idolatry, worship another God. You can practice adultery, have fornication, sin with other people that are not your marriage partner. You can go do those things and still be okay back here. This was haunting that church. See, Christ is the one we're speaking of. Look, how he's, look who's talking here in verse 18. It's the son of God. It's the son of God. Why is it spoken that way? Why did Jesus, when he could have called himself all kinds of things like the Lamb of God, 
Behold, I'm the Lamb of God, or I'm the Son of Man. Rather, he speaks of himself as the Son of God to establish his position that he's going to use to speak to this church. John Wolford was a famous theologian at Dallas Theological Seminary. He had this to say about this. He said, Christ is introduced as the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished stone. This description of Christ is similar to that in 1.13.15, but here he is called the Son of God rather than the Son of Man. The situation required reaffirmation of his deity and his righteous indignation at their sins. The words burnished bronze, which describe his feet, are brilliant when polished. The reference to his eyes being like blazing fire and the brilliant reflections of his feet emphasize the indignation, the anger, and the righteous judgment of Christ. See, when Christ begins to speak to the angel of this church and begins to speak to all of them through the messenger, through the pastor, he's identified himself in authority. He's identified himself as the king, the author, God Almighty. He's not coming to them in humility only. He's coming to them in force. He's coming to them with this position stated. You see, obviously the description here of Christ as the Son of God is to stress his authority as the one who has lived forever, the infinite God, the eternal God. And it's also to reflect through his eyes and through his feet this penetrating power that he knows everything. You will stand before a judge who is Christ And he knows every thought you've ever had. He knows every motive. He knows every deed. He knows everything. Nothing is hidden from our God. Not a thing. Not a practice. Not a word. Everything will come before him. See, but here, this letter goes to this church, right? Okay, so you guys got it? I think you do. The letter goes to this church, then Jesus begins to celebrate. He begins to celebrate. He begins to be glad and joyous, and he has pleasure in his heart in verse 19. Look what he says to them. I know your works. I know your works. I know what you do. I see what you're doing. I see your sacrifices. I see your support. I see see you giving. I see you rescuing. I see you going to the poorest. I see you reaching the lost. I see you giving your monies. I see you traveling nations. I see you going out locally. I see you serving one another. I see you in the children's ministry watching those terrible kids. I see you helping out at our events, our things that we do. I see you setting up in church. I see you serving in a life group. I see you serve. And Jesus is celebrating. I see your love. Oh my gosh. If Jesus could stand here today and say, I see your love, CVC. I see your love, CVC. Can you imagine? Because love is what matters most. All that we're doing is living our lives up in faith in love. So Jesus would commend us. And do I see that? I see that at CVC. I see surrendered lives. I see those that love Christ and love others. I see people who serve with all their heart. Jesus is commending this church in brilliant, beautiful ways. Without faith that he commends to them, it's impossible to please God. But with faith, we please God. Are you pleasing God? Are you a pleasure to God? Are you making God happy? Are you making him glad? Does he see your life and go, I'm, I, I rejoice in this life. 
I rejoice in this life of prayer. I rejoice in this faithful marriage. I rejoice in the servitude of man or woman. I rejoice in seeing this kindness. I rejoice in seeing you love. See, faith and then service. Oh my goodness, there's so many servants in this church that are beautiful people, just absolutely beautiful. And Jesus smiles all the time. I can't stand how little I serve compared to some others. I'm like puny and they're like gigantic. There are such beautiful servants here and Jesus celebrates our servanthood. See, Jesus said, the greatest amongst you will be your servant. The greatest amongst you won't be your loudmouth preachers. The greatest amongst you will be your servants. The ones who serve humbly. Jesus sees every act of service and he celebrates it. And he's told us this is a kingdom that's upside down. It's not the powerful. It's the servants who are most honored. It's those that love and serve and give. And then he says, not only that, but I see your patient endurance because it's hard. The culture that Thyatira is wicked. It's pagan. The culture is filled like a cesspool, just like ours. We're a nation running away from God. The culture is just running away from God. It's creating a cesspool for our kids. They grow up with filth all around them and every phone and every website, it's all around our kids and we've handed it off to them. It's patient endurance to stay faithful, to stay at it, to strive after the holiness that God says without holiness, no one will see me. God says that. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. He sees this church and he's cheering. Rick Duncan would say, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up. Right. And what about you? Is this what Jesus does when he watches over you? Because he sees you all the time. See, there's a gap in our theology. We say we believe God is everywhere. He knows everything, sees me all the time. But our practice doesn't say that. Does he see you when you bite off somebody's head? Does he see you when you're corrupt? Does he see you when you watch something you shouldn't? Does he see you when, or, or you just say this. You say you believe in that God, but you don't live that way. God sees you at all times is a theological truth, but our practice needs to be changed. We need to practice the presence of God. Not just when you're in church and you smile at everybody and you act like, hey, everything's cool, and you walk out there and fight like dogs, like mean dogs. I know, I'm a pastor. You should hear what I hear in my office. You should hear what we hear as leaders of here. You go out there and you tolerate sin. You go out there and you practice sin. You go out there and you allow it. And it continues all around you and you continue and you continue in it. See, the tolerance is what tore up this church. This toleration of sin. We see this right now in verse 19 or 20, I should say. Right, we see it. But I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. She calls herself a prophetess and she is seducing my children. She is seducing my church and she's taking them into sin. This is what's going on in Thyatira. You see, these, some of these Christians, some of the Christians in Thyatira were abandoning their loyalty to Christ because Jezebel or a teacher, a bunch of guys who had some kind of authority, they were teaching that it was okay. Go, yeah, go to those celebrations. Go to those festivals. Man, how about today? Go to that movie. Go to that film. Go to that website. Go to that strip club. Go to that play. And then come into church and act fine and before your God and with the body of Christ. 
It's not to be. It's not to be. We're called to holiness, you guys. We're called to be holy. We are called to be a people on the earth different than everybody else because he gives us his spirit and he sanctifies us and he can make you holy. It's the work of the spirit and the work of the word of God to transform you and I into the image of Christ in the world. We are Christians, which means we are followers of Christ and he lives in us. If he lives in you, you can be like Paul and you can say, I am crucified by, with Christ. I don't even live anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Is that you? See, I don't want this church to degenerate. I'm passionate as heck. I'm angry as heck at sin. I'm angry as heck at sin. Why? Because my Father in heaven hates sin. It put his son on the cross. It nailed him there. It put the crown on his head. They drove spikes into the Son of God's face because of sin. My sin. Your sins. Our sins. And God hates sin. So I want to be a passionate lover of Christ. I want to love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want to love him no matter what the circumstances, but I want to hate sin. I want to hate evil. I want to hate what a guy would do to a bunch of innocent girls. I want to hate sin. I want to hate the headlines that tell me about evil and corruption and destruction. I want to hate racism. I want to hate the toleration of sin. I want to hate what God hates. God is a perfect being, and he has perfect anger and perfect wrath and perfect hate for many things. But he is perfect in his love. He's perfect in grace. He's perfect in his kindness and his mercy. So anyone can be like Isaiah and say, oh, woe is me. I'm undone. And hear from God, come, I will wash you as clean as snow. I will make you white as snow. Just confess your sins and I will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all the unrighteousness. And you and I can be together. We can fellowship. We can walk together. And I will be your God. And I will protect you and provide for you, not only now, but in what's to come. Verse 21. See, he says about this woman and these teachers, whoever they were, I'm not sure. Jezebel's a terrible name, right? She was the most wicked woman in the Old Testament. And Jesus nicknames whoever's doing this Jezebel. You can read about it in 1 Kings, 2 Kings. But in his grace, he gave her time to repent, see? This is our God. See, our God's the prodigal father. He gives time to repent. He gives you time. I mean, some of you are practicing sin and you're living in it. And he's giving you time before the, judge, before the judgment comes. He allows it. I mean, he permits, you know, that, okay, I'm going to give him time to repent. I'm going to speak to him through the scriptures. I may speak to him through the exhortation of a brother or sister like we heard last week. I will speak to him through the spirit. I'll convict him of the sin. And I'm going to give you time to repent. But that time is not forever. It doesn't, it's not forever. It's just a time. It's, it's, it's determined by him. Matthew Henry, who was a great teacher in the church, 
history. He says there's four principles about repentance that need to be understood by saints. These principles, we'll talk about them now, right? These principles about repentance have to do with how repentance plays into the life of Christian people. John the Baptist, when he was out there in the wilderness, he was screaming, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Some of you may not even have a familiarity with that word. Like, is that a word that's really common with you in your practice, in your life? Because repentance is a necessity. We must repent. We must turn from sin. We must turn to God in faith. We must turn to God in faith. So he gives her time to repent, but she ignores it. She ignores this time. See, repentance is necessary to prevent ruin. That's one of the principles. To prevent the ruin of a life, the ruin of a congregation, we must repent. We must turn. We must get our senses right. We must think correctly and turn. Just like the prodigal son who was out there with the pigs and realized, oh my gosh, I could be better off as a servant in my father's house. I'm going home. God granted him repentance. It came to his mind. He came to an understanding. It's either repent or ruin. Remember that tower that fell on a bunch of people and killed about 18 people and they came to Jesus and they said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, this tower in Siloam, it fell on these people. And Jesus said, wait, stop. Unless you repent, you'll perish too. Unless you turn from sin, turn back to God. And it it happens a lot. I'm a repenter, you guys. (laughs) I have to repent because I sin. So I must repent. I must go back to God. When I go back to him humbly, he's welcoming me. He's not stiff-arming me. He's welcoming me because I've humbled myself and I'm drawing near to God in, in humility. Secondly, it requires time. Repentance doesn't happen like this. It takes time. It takes a bit of time, but it's a limited time. It takes time. Thirdly, God expects that time will lead to the fruits of repentance. What does God give us this time for us to practice this sin? We're in it. We're in it. We're in it. We're in it. He's giving us time to repent. He's giving us time to repent because he's expecting that you'll turn and go away from it. And then the fruit that'll come will be beautiful. It'll be that you become like Christ more. Forgiving, kind, gracious, loving, humble, Loving. See, the fruits of repentance come, but a man or a woman has to turn. And finally, when the time is up, if someone remains unrepentant like Jezebel here, the suffering is going to be double. Boy, the words he says in verse 22 and 23 are hard to read. When you think, oh my, oh my, what's happened here? You see, as we continue, you see that, hey, judgment's coming. It was ignored. This was ignored. And now it was time. So here we we look at um, verse 22, right? And we see that there's a a certainty to this uh, outpouring of God against Jezebel, against her followers who are called her children, against those who have practiced the sin, against those who have taken the advice and been led away. And going into these practices, there's a certainty that now the judgment's here. When God says, I will kill her children, he's not talking about killing children, children. He's talking about followers. You see, they've committed adultery. And God isn't going to tolerate it. God's not going to tolerate it. They tolerated it. 
but he's not going to tolerate it. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna react. He's going to respond. He's going to choose how he's going to respond with these people. See, the adultery is twofold because God betrothes his bride, right? We're the promised bride of Christ. So he, he's planning a wedding feast in heaven. There's a wedding feast coming. And we become the bride of Christ. And he's expecting this bride to be holy. He's expecting this bride to be pure, purified, blameless, spotless, the Bible even says. You know, this week I was talking to Nate about how, I, I, it's, it's a make-up thing, so don't, don't judge it until you hear the end. I was talking to Nate Green, and I said, Nate, imagine this. You go on a mission trip. Okay, now if you know the Green family, Nate and his family, it's quite a family. Megan and the, and the kids, right? And I said, "Believe what about this, Nate? You go on this mission trip, and you leave your family behind, and you leave your bride, you leave Megan with us, and you go and do a, a really faithful thing, and you come back and find out that we abused Megan. That we dishonored her, and we treated her in, in a way of abuse. And Nate was listening to my story, and his face was normal for a while, until I said, Nate, how would you be? And then I saw this facial change. And I saw his eyes differently, and he just looked at me. And I thought, okay, Nate, it's not me that did this. Let's talk about somebody else doing this. Let's talk about it. it wasn't me that he gave, you know, let's say, Nate, you let to. But what I saw rising in Nate, I loved to see. I loved it. Because it's what a man ought to feel for his bride. It's what a man ought to feel in passion for his bride. That if anybody would do this to my bride, boy, there'd be some payment to have to be made. Somebody would have to pay. That's Christ and his bride. God's name is jealous. Do you know that? He says, my name is jealous. And what is he jealous over? Us. He's jealous over us. We're his. We're his possession and we're to be his bride. So he's left, us, he's left his bride in the hands of leaders like me. Do you know how frightening that is? That I'm touching what belongs to God? That you're his possession and I'm shepherding you and I'm leading you? James was afraid of this and James in his book wrote, Be not many teachers because the judgment is more severe. It's a frightening thing. You should pray for our leaders all the time. Pray for our leaders all the time. You see, the responsibility of leadership is to guard against false teaching. Our elders, our pastors, our ministry leaders, we have to keep our eyes open. We have to be watchful. We have to be ready because false doctrine's always coming in. False teaching's always coming in. There's always TV shows that are teaching heresy. There's always new books on the market that sell like crazy. They have nothing to do with the Bible, really. They distort and pervert God's word. And they sell books like crazy, right? We are responsible to you guys to make sure that we fight this deception that comes all the time. And it comes in through those that would consider themselves to be prophetess or guides or something. We need to be sure that our lives and the teaching of these leaders in our church truly line up with the word of God. That's why I can say this. If it's not from here, it's wrong. If this is not the source and the authority of our church, it's wrong. And we ought not allow it. Because toleration leads to a lot of destruction. Verse 24 and 25. 
we're shifting gears again. Now, he can say this, but to you, so if it can be found, I'd like to see the graphic that shows the church with two bodies in it. Okay, there's the church. And this is what Thyatira was. Now, this isn't a perfect image because it came in my mind, so you know it's got to be imperfect. But this is what I thought I saw in the scriptures. This is what I think I see here. There are beautiful people in this church at Thyatira. Love, faith, service, perseverance, greater works. I see them, Jesus says. And then in the church, there are followers of Jezebel. Practice your immorality. It's okay. You can, you can, you can do idolatry. It's okay. It's permissible. It's something that we, we're allowing. You see, the tolerance of those allow the others to exist. And this is what the leader of that church was confronted with. You tolerate this Jezebel. But see, sin is easy to tolerate if we don't see it as what it, it is truly hideous. What are you tolerating? What sin is still around? still besets you, still you're trapped by it. Don't tolerate it. Fight it. Take arms. Take arms against it. Put on the whole armor of God. Fight the good fight, Paul says. This is a war. This isn't a picnic. This is a great spiritual battle we're in. And only those who fight can survive the flood that's coming against the church. Only those that stand firm in Christ, dressed and ready, watchful and on edge, will stand. Many will drift away. Fifty years, will our church stand here? Will we be overflowing with believers who love the Lord? Will we? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. I think God hopes so too. But to the rest of you, see, Jesus speaks again kindly to the rest of you. This is the counsel given to the believers who did not cave in. You don't hold to this teaching, he says. And you've not learned what they're calling the deep things of Satan. Somehow, these teachers were telling him, no, go do that evil. You'll learn more about Satan in that. Good idea? Is that a good idea? Go learn about Satan, the occult? Go learn about powerful darkness? No, that's not a good idea. That's not a good idea. But they were enticed by it. And they did. But these, no. You didn't cave in. You didn't learn. You didn't go along with them. And Jesus says to them that are striving and continuing, I lay no other burden on you. I don't put anything else on you at all. Nothing more for you to do except to hold fast. Hold fast. You see, the whole universe degenerates. The complex breaks down into the simple. Light dims and it becomes dark. Heat fails and it becomes cold. Everything in the universe degenerates. Leave an apple outside for the winter, where'd it go? It's gone, right? The church degenerates if it's not on edge, if it's not passionate, if it's not careful, if it's not working and striving, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. We must hold fast to where we're at. We must hold on. We must hold fast, Jesus says. Until I return. Until I return, hold on. Hold on. You see, if you think that you can stop seeking the Lord and you're okay, you're not. You're not. 
It's clear. If you don't seek the Lord, you will seek something else. And it will become an idol. Or it will become something of sin. If you don't continue to seek the Lord, are you satisfied? See, status quo is what destroys Christians. I'm satisfied. I've read enough of the Bible. I've done that enough. I've, you know, yeah. I've, and they just settle in. We must seek the Lord. It is our duty to seek the Lord, to continuously go after him. Otherwise, we will drift away. I know in this room there's guys and girls that have drifted. I know it. Do you love him now like you once loved him? Are you singing to him? Are you loving him? Are you waking up with Jesus on your mind? Are you, are you excited to get near him through his word? Do you want to be with the fellowship of the believers because it's about him? Or have you left that first love like Ephesus? Have you left your first love? See, then he makes promises in verse 26 and 27. And the promises are, are beyond my imagination. They are amazing promises. And if you, can, if you can capture them in your mind, you've got a more imaginative and greater mind than I have. But he says to the one who conquers and keeps his work, I will give you authority over nations. Me? Jesus says to each of you, to each of you, I, if you keep at it, if you keep at it, you keep these works, you hold on fast, and you continue in my way, I will give you authority over nations. There's parts of the scriptures that says, he will have us sit on his royal throne with him. Walt on the throne. Nancy on the throne. It's laughable. It makes me laugh as well. Really, Lord? See, the promises of God are so fabulous that we need often to be reminded. Strive fight, persevere, because what's coming is beyond our greatest imaginations. What's coming is a reward for the faithful. Those he welcomes in with, welcome, my good and faithful servant, he will reward with authority over nations, and they will rule. That's a future for the faithful, an everlasting future for the faithful. An incredibly immeasurable, beautiful, glorious, sinless future forever. Forever. There was a baseball movie like that. So, finally here. Slide, we've looked at the close. And I will give him the morning star, which is Jesus. Revelations 22. Jesus says, I am the bright and morning star. And the meaning of that has been tried. We've tried to unpack that for centuries. What is Jesus saying? It has to do with his dominion and his splendor. The first star in the morning is the brightest. Jesus says, I will give you myself in my fullness. I will give you myself in my fullness because you're my bride. I will give you myself. For those who have ears to hear, final verse. You know, I'm deaf in this year. Some of you remember my surgery a couple years ago. I'm completely deaf over here. My wife, I drive her crazy. You know, but she's tolerant. Hallelujah. But I'm deaf. I only have one ear that hears, this one. Do you have ears to hear? What the Spirit is saying to you? That's the question. 
Jesus, every time, closes these letters with, for those who have ear to hear. Have you heard from God? We're going to give you a couple minutes to pray. Is it a prayer of repentance now? Is it a prayer of thanksgiving now? Is it a, is it a prayer for others or for self? Lastly, Lord Jesus, do not let me tolerate what you hate. So as we take a couple minutes quiet to pray, Nate will come with the worship. But until then, would you seek the Lord? Would you just go to his throne, bow down, and speak to him?